Here's your host, Christian Schneider. Welcome, everyone. I am Christian Schneider. I am going to be your tour guide for the next two hours. Uh, You may know me from uh, the National Review, where I am a columnist. I was a former columnist at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And uh, we're going to have some fun tonight. Hope everybody had a good President's Day. Hope everybody uh, uh, behaved themselves. And that is what we call in the business a segue to what I'm going to talk about first. I mean, it's almost like I've done this three times instead of two. (laughs) Uh, These are... uh, these are professional uh, stuff right here. Okay, so I hope you're behaving yourself because, as you may have noticed, in the past few years uh, after COVID, people kind of got crazy. They started yelling at each other in Costco, and you started to see uh, videos of uh, people running out on basketball courts and people leaving their house without pants on, although that might have just been me. So... New York Magazine in the past week came out with a list of new post-COVID etiquette tips. These are 140 tips that people should go by. These are what the coastal elites think that we should be going by uh, as far as etiquette. How to behave yourself uh, in this new America that's, uh, that, that's around. So I'm going to go through a couple of these. I'll start with the ones that I agree with. And then I'll mention a couple that I disagree with. And then we'll be joined by uh, a New York Post columnist who's written a great column about this. And we're probably going to disagree about some of these. So first, I will start with number 106. Again, these are etiquette tips from New York Magazine. If you are a fast walker and the person in front of you on the sidewalk is walking slowly, do not walk directly behind them for blocks on end. That one seems kind of common sense. I'm just going to say, if you're walking behind somebody and they're walking slow and you don't pass them, that, that one's kind of on you. Go easy when asking young people about life after high school. Uh, this one is happening in my house right now. I have a son who is applying for college, and literally every adult he comes into contact with now will ask him where he's going to college. And he's like, please stop asking me that. And I had the same thing when I was, when I was going to college, too. Um, they hear the question all the time. Eh, come up with something else. Number 46, being an ally doesn't mean debasing yourself. This is a good one. This is for the people at parties who will walk up to, say, a person of color and start to apologize and say, how can I elevate your voice and how can I make my social footprint smaller and stuff like that. It's just so condescending and it's so gross. And people of color don't necessarily want to talk about race all the time. So let them know when, let them let you know when when they want to talk about it. Otherwise, it's just kind of pathetic. Don't wait for the right time to break up with someone. I feel this one in my bones. I was (laughs) uh, in high school in prom. Uh, I took a girl to prom. I was like working a, a, at a drugstore making four bucks an hour or whatever. And I spent 500 bucks on prom to take this girl to prom. And a week later she says, yeah, I'm breaking up with you. And I was like, yeah, that would have been outstanding information about a week ago. Uh, would have, would have saved me a lot of money. 
and I would have been very happy about it uh, even still today. So life is short. As soon as you realize it's over, as soon as you realize you don't want to be with this person, just cut it loose. That's the, the, the best, the best uh, advice I can offer. So going back to the list, again, these are the, what the coastal elites want to tell us how to behave. And there are some bad ones, too. For one, never ask anybody what their job is. That's terrible advice. If you're at a party and you're talking to someone, ask them what their job is. What if it's a really interesting job? What if you work in the same industry? You have plenty of stuff to talk about. I think they're worried that kind of in, in places like New York, you know, it's just a, a status symbol, things like that. Go ahead and ask them what their job is. You're showing interest in them. It's acceptable to tell any kind of lie in order to leave a drinks date. That is absolutely false. If, you, if you're on a date and you're getting drinks and it's not working out, just say, look, this isn't working out. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going home. Uh, that's the best thing you can do. Don't tell them that, you know, your mother just got elected president of Peru and you have to leave on a jet immediately. That's, that's lame and it just makes you look bad. This is a weird one. Number 38, always wink. Who winks at people? Don't wink at me. Only psychopaths wink at I should say, during whenever I was masking up, I was thinking maybe we should bring back the, uh, the wink because you're walking around and you're wearing a mask and you can't do like the little half smile that you do when you pass somebody. So maybe we bring back the wink. But no, it's crazy. Nobody's ever been happy that somebody winked at, at them because it is, it is gross. Never show that you're impressed by anyone. That's a weird one. If you're impressed by somebody, tell them. Tell somebody else. They appreciate it. In fact, the lines are open here. If you want to tell me how impressive I am, <laughs> I, can see, I can see the phones aren't lighting up exactly. Um, for group dinners with friends, always split the bill evenly. This one is a controversial one. If there's somebody plowing down drinks, it's kind of on them to pay more, I think. I've heard a lot of people online say, well, just split it up. Don't, don't be cheap. But I'm not paying. If I'm not drinking, I'm not paying for somebody else to, to drink out on my dime. Eh. Anyway. So those are my picks. Uh, if you have any suggestions, if you have etiquette rules that you live by, that you swear by, go ahead and let us know. Go ahead and send us a, uh, a text the Old National Bank talk and text line, which is 855-616-1620. And uh, maybe when we get back to this, I will read it on the air because I always need, I always need tips too. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Kirsten Fleming, who is a columnist with uh, the New York Post. She's written about this, and uh, she's going to tell me where I'm wrong. Heights. And we're talking about uh, etiquette. The world's gone crazy. We need rules. The coastal elites at, uh, at New York Magazine are telling us what we should be doing. A lot of them are just kind of, uh, kind of rules to keep us from getting in weird conversational situations. 
Um, but someone I've never had a weird conversation with is Kirsten Fleming. She is a reporter and a columnist at the New York Post. She wrote a great column on this uh, last week on uh, on the New York Magazine uh, list of etiquette. And uh, thanks for joining us. How are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm <laughs> doing all right. So I want to go through some of the etiquette tips that uh, you objected to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, that whole list was more like pet peeves, not etiquette. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So your main objection to a lot of these were that it tends to tamp down people's personality. You know, you you have your New Yorkers who are, you know, rough and tumble and they have big personalities and it basically just kind of wants to neuter us all. am Am I getting that right? Yeah, I also didn't recognize any New Yorker in this whole list. <laughs> I, you know, my whole, like, I, I was just reading it and I was like, okay, there was the, the, some of the weight things, like, you know, re- people in restaurants are acting like animals. I was like, okay, we need a little fresh reminder about that. But then I just, as I'm going through it, I'm going, where are we trying to make it in New York or Oberlin? Like, it was so strange to me. There was no, uh, there was no shred of like, of anything that has to do with living in New York and interacting in New York with New Yorkers who are generally tough skin, ball busting people. I mean, that's just kind of the ethos. I know that it's changed a lot um, in recent years, but that's, that's New York I grew up with and that's New York. I still continue to live in. So I, I just didn't recognize the city's personality anywhere in that list. Okay. So let's roll through a couple of these. Number 35. Don't address two or more women as quote ladies. What are, what are you supposed to call us? I don't know. <laughs> like you're not allowed to say. I I said hey guy. I say hey guys. We're not allowed to say that anymore. Apparently, I, I don't understand because it said it's oddly creepy for men and from women. It's un, an unnecessary attempt to feign from sort of unity. I, I I don't understand like what we're supposed to call each other. I it it, it, it I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. That one blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, white people should always clearly pronounce the name of the rapper 50 Cent. So a lot of white people will use terminology and say fitty, which is fun. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know any of this was really an option or an issue. This is where it comes back to like, this is somebody's list of pet peeves. This right. isn't necessarily etiquette that can be executed out into the world. <laughs> this is just somebody saying, you know, I really hate when like white people say fitty. Like it has nothing to do with anything that remotely resembles social etiquette. It seems it seems pretty harmless. And as a Caucasian yeah. in the early nineties, it's almost like the Snoop Dogg era when everybody was saying like for shizzle. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. Mean, one of the great one of the great things about hip hop culture is just kind of the way that they play with language and uh, stretch things and cut words and do things like that. And it's, it's an homage more than anything else. Um, so what do you feel about their tip for tipping is to tip 20% if you're going to get coffee? I, I can't afford that coffee if I have to tip 20% because you, coffee is not a dollar anymore. And, I, you know, again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm this old <laughs> curmudgeon, which I sort of am, and I guess I'm a young curmudgeon, but it's either, if I have to tip you 20% every single time you pour me a cup of coffee and touch a button on the register, I just can't afford to go there anymore. 
So, you know, you're not performing this great duty. I mean, I guess maybe if you have a good relationship with them and once a week you want to throw them a few, you know, a buck or something, that's, that's fine. But it shouldn't be, like, required. And that's the thing. I think it should always be optional, but it's become it's become this contentious thing. I mean, people have tip jars out for everything. So, and obviously the square and, and using your credit card, like you have that option to tip. So I just, I just couldn't afford to actually get that cup of coffee if I had to tack 20% on for the counter for all. It I just, just, or guy, whatever. It seems kind of strange that you would tip food before you even get it, which is a little weird because then they're holding out the possibility that if you don't tip that your food would, will be weird in some way. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know. I know the whole thing is weird. And then, like, in the bodegas, too, they said that you should tip 20% when someone, you know, when you get something at the bodega. Um, I don't know. Have you ever, you've been to a bodega before. Sure. <laughs> I, I don't understand why we're tipping 20% because you gave me a cup of coffee or you made me a sandwich or you just handed something from behind the counter, like a, a, a bottle of aspirin. I, it is we have no one can even afford the rent anymore. So it just seemed this like very strange, like who are these people making this list? Are they like the, the bodega lobby or are they so fabulously wealthy and they're so out of touch? I, I, I don't know. I just, the idea that that has to become the standard rule is, is, is just like a bit of head scratching. Cause it's, it's kind of like shaming you into, into tipping and who has that kind of money. But anyway, right. Okay, so we are going to go to a commercial, and uh, you're going to stick with us through the commercial. Is that correct? That's correct. All right, outstanding. And then we're going to argue about something. So uh, we will be right back it. here on uh, 620 WTMJ. Nights. What's going to be left of the world? Oh, All right, we are back talking with Kirsten Fleming from the New York Post about etiquette. And we didn't get this to this in the last segment, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up now. Don't tell people they look like other people because it's potentially insulting. You believe that you should be telling other people immediately. You should run up to them and tell them that they look like somebody famous. Well, I don't think that you should be <laughs> running up to, to people and tapping them on the shoulder. But if, it, you know, if you're having an interaction with them, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Uh, as long as it's, you know, you're not being nasty. Okay. So as you may gather, I disagree with this completely. Yeah, if, I know. If, Let me hear it. If somebody is looks like a famous person, you should not tell them because a it may not be that flattering. What if it's a what if a, like a a famous person that's you go up and tell some woman or man they look like Marjorie Taylor Greene or something? Eh, they might might not be all that thrilled about that. Secondly, if it's somebody really good looking that they look like, well, if they really looked like that person, then they would be a bit, they would be that person. If you go up and tell a guy he looks like George Clooney, well, if he did, he would be George Clooney. So you're basically saying you're a worse version of the famous person that, uh, that I'm comparing you to. So I don't know. I had a, I had a friend in high school that used to do this all the time. He would walk up to people and mm-hmm. tell them who they looked like. And it was, I was like, please, you have to stop doing this. well it sounds like that guy wanted his own show i mean i I don't know i think that i think it can be super flattering if someone told me that i looked you know that i looked like the female equivalent of george clooney i would be super flattered i think that's great 
I don't know. I think you, I think you can always tell someone's intention, right? And I would never be offended by that. Okay. And you know, I mean, th- that's all. I just think like you can always tell if somebody means it in like a positive way, and you should just be you should be flattered. Okay. Well, I will let I will let people know they should come up to you and and tell you what famous person you look like all the time. Uh, Christy Brinkley. Christy Brinkley, <laughs> obviously. Uh, like 1985, yeah. <laughs> you wrote another recent column, uh, which is a little more serious, about the effects that social media is having on young people, particularly, and specifically young women. Um, what do we do about it? Yeah, that, that study was so depressing, but I don't think it was that surprising. I mean, it, it really... The numbers of, of of young girls who are having suicidal ideations or you know contemplating it are just so hopeless. Um, it's, it's so depressing. I do. I, I think it's really really difficult to just say okay, like you're going to sit and read a book all day and you're not going to have access to the internet. But I do think that the internet has presented a pathway for young girls especially, and even adults. Adults say it makes them feel bad about themselves, social media, the Internet. Why wouldn't this affect kids who are much more malleable and vulnerable? So I, I think, like, at the end of the day, I think we also have to teach our kids to live more in in real life. Um, I think we have to also teach them to be tougher, to understand their worth, not their fragility. I think... There's so, there's such a cascade of issues, um, and this this study sparked so many so many essays, right? Like some people are saying, oh no, it's it's definitely social media. I think it's really a combination of social media lockdowns, um, you know, the internet in general, where you can find corners of any any poison. Like if you have gender ideology issues. If you have social, if you have an eating disorder, like you'll find that and you'll get stuck in that feedback loop. Um, You know, and I don't think that it's the only only thing. I think there's other things you can do to 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 help kids thrive and they need coping mechanisms. And I don't think that they're getting it the way that previous generations did. Um, I don't know. You may have other thoughts. (laughs) Uh, real you quickly, have kids that age. yeah, uh, I, I just don't, there's legislation out there like Josh Hawley of uh, Missouri wants to, yeah. to ban social media for kids under 16. I think that's all crazy. Yeah. Um, I think it's yeah, good, it has yeah. to be up to the parents. Um, just yeah. quickly, you are a big East fan. You go to the big East tournament every year. I'm a Marquette guy. You went to Providence, yeah. but you're somehow a St. John's fan. Are you, are you going to yeah. the big East tournament this year? I go every single year. I am going this year. Last year was magical because it felt really, really old school Big East with the Providence, the Villanova, um, and the UConn presence. This year, I feel like it's going to be the Midwest contingency. So I don't know how much I'm going to love it, but uh, <laughs> I think you guys are, are overtaking us on this one. But it's, yeah, it's and always I, such a I only bring it up because this is the, the one year that I can maybe gloat a little bit. But uh, thanks for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. And uh, thanks, thanks for being with us. Now from the WTMJ Breaking News Center, here's Finn Askin. Jay Knights. How much can I be expected to tolerate? Welcome back. I am Christian Schneider, filling in tonight. We all know who uh, Roald Dahl is, right? He's a 
famous children's author, probably one of the most famous children's author. I think he sold over 300 million books or something. Uh, and some of his uh, his books are now being deemed problematic. Uh, there is a group, actually, uh, Puffin Books, who publishes uh, Dahl's books, and uh, with the urging of his estate, uh, or with the permission of his estate, are going back and they're rewriting some of uh, Roald Dahl's books. He's, you know, the author of things like uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the BFG, uh, the Witches, some some really classic material. But a company called Inclusive Minds has decided, and I think this company is actually owned by Netflix, has decided to go back and comb his books for things children today might find objectionable. Uh, here is a sampling of what they are finding, and this is from the Washington Post. Quote, The changes in Dahl's children's books were done in partnership with Inclusive Minds, a collective for people who are passionate about inclusion, diversity, and accessibility in children's literature, according to the Roald Dahl Story Company. Ugh. Among the changes, according to the Telegraph, the character Augustus Gloop from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is no, no longer described as fat. Now he is referred to as enormous. Editorial note, still kind of uh, offensive. What was described as weird African language in the book The Twits is no longer weird. In the BFG, a reference to the character of the blood bottler having skin that was reddish brown has been removed. Some characters are now gender neutral. The singing and dancing Oompa Loompas, who doesn't love the Oompa Loompas from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, were once described as small men. Now they are just small people. In James and the Giant Peach, the cloud men, mysterious figures who live in the sky, are now cloud people. And there's another piece that goes on. In some cases, new lines were added. In The Witches, a paragraph that explains that the witches are bald underneath their wigs has a new sentence. Quote, there are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there is certainly nothing wrong with that. End quote. So they literally added, first of all, text that Roald Dahl never intended. But they also just threw in the, uh, <laughs> the uh, Seinfeldian not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, that's a that's a 20th centuryism that is now showing up in these texts that you know were written 100 years ago. So when they are adding things, first of all, they they can't even match the prose, the the poetry of Roald Dahl, which is why he is famous. I mean, some of this stuff is just wooden; it doesn't make any sense. It's changing the meaning of what he meant. Like he 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 didn't mean, uh, you know he he was fine with offending women <laughs> who who wore wigs. This is something that conservatives get a lot of grief for banning books. If you go just Google banned books and people go crazy about well it's conservatives. They don't want people reading books about slavery in schools, and they don't want people reading LGBT books. And I will admit there is some of that. You know, in the, in the past year, we've had uh, debates over, uh, you know, CRT in schools and, and things like that. 
And there have been some ridiculous books that have been banned. But let's not forget that people on the left have also not only wanted to ban books, but ban historic authors. And then in this case, banning classic text. For instance, you may remember back in 2018, the Association for Library Service to Children, they used to give out this award every year. It was the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award. Wisconsin's own Laura Ingalls Wilder, incidentally, who wrote Little House on the Prairie. Uh, They used to give out the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award to authors whose work has made a lasting impact on the world of children's literature. 2018, the name was changed. They dropped her from the name of the, of the award because of some of the things that she had said about Native Americans. She's writing, you know, in the 1800s, and this is how pe- people spoke in the 1800s. Um, Dr. Seuss, uh, just a few months ago, an Ohio teacher that was reading the Sneetches to her th- third grade class was cut off by an administrator who said, a student said, it's almost like what happened back then, how people were treated, like disrespected, like white people disrespected black people when they were reading the book, The Sneetches. The whole purpose of this book, incidentally, is non-discrimination. It's why you should not discriminate against the Sneetches. Nonetheless, uh, the book was dropped and, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss is, is apparently canceled now, so... I mean, what are, we, what are we doing here, folks? Roald Dahl, as a lot of authors from, you know, the 1800s and 1900s, I mean, you go back and you read some of that stuff, and some of it is speckled with some pretty scary stuff, and now what we consider some pretty offensive stuff. But are we really going to go back and rewrite, ask diversity counselors to rewrite some of the, some of the great texts? Are we really going to go back and rewrite uh, Huckleberry Finn, the, Mark, the great Mark Twain book, because it has the unfortunate word that was used all the time. But, you know, uh, that The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, not only being the quintessential American novel, it's also making fun of the way that minorities, that black people were treated uh, in Mark Twain's time. It's actually a story about Redemption, uh, Jim, you know, wins in the end. So, I mean, what are we doing? Kids these days need to learn how people spoke back then. We can't retroactively pull out the rug from under their feet and have them try to understand the past. Now, I understand, you know, the, the Roald doll people say, well, more kids will want to read it now. I'm not sure that's true. Um, I think there's a, uh, there isn't an, a very important lesson to be learned here. Um, so this is insane. And, uh, you know, we can't keep doing this. We'll be right back. Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I am Christian Schneider filling in tonight. We're talking about Roald Dahl and the effort to go back and edit some of his uh, some of his children's works uh, from way back when. 
Tim from West Dallas, what say you about this? Hey, Christian, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, sure. Thinking about this, and regardless of any person where you are on any topic regarding inclusion or race relations or anything else, that this country is trying to, you know, make new history as we move forward, regardless of your position, if you are on the side, teach what not to do moving forward in our history, why would you change the history and not have it there as an example of what not to do, if that's, if that's the concern? Right. These are, these are historical documents, and right. that historical documents that we, we can teach and that we can show young people this is the way it used to be and this is not the way that it has to be anymore, aside from the fact that, you know, some of this stuff really isn't all that offensive. I mean, certainly the you know, again, th- right. things that have, have to do with, with racial type of, types of things, sure. Uh, calling a kid fat, you know, we don't do it anymore. But, I mean, I, I, I can just remember growing up when I, when I was a kid, you know, I would go see The Empire Strikes Back and they're cutting open tauntauns and guts coming out and stuff. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised right. at what, what kids can take. And they learn from it. They're not um, scarred forever. Uh, so go ahead. No, you're right. And it, I'm sorry. And if you're making the comparison to literature of the past and that in your reference to the Empire Strikes Back thing, <laughs> if you watch any air TV right now and you see what they're showing on television now, yeah, kids can have thick skins and they can be taught. And as a musician, there's a lot of music that people would say you shouldn't be teaching or playing or, 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 or having in classrooms, but yet. If you're trying to change the, 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 the fabric of what we're teaching, you got to have it around to show, well, this at one point was accepted, but now today, it's really not. And whatever. I just think it's, it's counterproductive to trying to educate people when you take away things that were there. You learn from history. Don't repeat it if you don't want to do it. But Right. Thank you. That's your opinion, I guess. So that, thank you. That's a great call. Thanks, thanks for calling, Tim. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And I agree with him, uh, him completely. So... I have it here on my list that I was going to talk about this election tomorrow. I think everybody in the listening audience is probably sick of this thing by now. <laughs> so maybe we don't have to go into too much into it. The, uh, the Supreme Court election uh, that I'm talking about, of course, uh, which pits uh, Janet Protasewicz. Uh, and let's see, Everett Mitchell is also on the left. And then two conservatives, Dan Kelly and Jennifer Doro. It's probably going to end up being two women that uh, make it past tomorrow into the uh, general election in April, which is interesting because the uh, state Supreme Court is, I think, six of the seven current justices are actually women. Uh, But, I mean, you've heard other talk show hosts probably discuss this at length. It's interesting in that Democrats are now trying to get involved and uh, try to promote Dan Kelly and knock out Jennifer Doro uh, because she is probably the more electable candidate. She's America's sweetheart after she uh, after her time uh, adjudicating the Waukesha uh, Christmas parade debacle. Um, so yeah, so it's it's a little weird. This is the the tactic that uh, Democrats had used in the 2022 elections, which is to get involved in Republican primaries and promote a candidate who they think is more electable, uh, in, or uh, I'm sorry, less electable 
so they can then beat them in the general election. In this case, they're promoting Dan Kelly, who used to be a, a state Supreme, uh, Supreme Court justice, but lost. They think he's more beatable. And so now uh, they're they're going after Jennifer Doro in the primary. Um And they're also doing the same thing for Janelle Branchin, who's running for state senate in the uh, the old Alberta Darling seat. Uh, Dan Nodal is the other the other guy running there. But Democrats are um, trying to get Janelle Branchin through this this primary just because she's kind of a nut job. She's one of the one of the ones that was promoting um, running around the state, saying that Donald Trump actually won Wisconsin. Uh, Nodal's not exactly clean on this too. He signed a letter effectively saying, uh, urging Mike Pence not to accept the, uh, the Wisconsin electors. So, but he's, he's better than Branchin, uh, who is uh, kind of cuckoo, but that's who the Democrats want to face. And so that's, uh, they're, they're, they're promoting her. And you've probably seen this all over TV. So uh, we will be back um, here on WTMJ Nights. Jay Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I am Christian Schneider. Donald Trump has found an, a nickname that he fa- he f- himself finds ex- uh, offensive, finally. <laughs> Over the weekend, he decided he was going to stop calling Florida Governor Ron DeSantis Meatball Ron, <laughs> uh, which is a brilliant nickname. Um, Ron DeSantis is, of course probably going to be running for president. He hasn't announced yet. Trump has announced. Uh, and Trump started calling him Meatball Ron, which set off a lot of DeSantis's, uh soft fanboys who are very offended by this. Now, keep in mind, they were not offended at all over the past couple of years when Trump was giving offensive nicknames to other people, whether it's... Uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, his wife, Elaine Chao, Trump is just calling her a virulently racist name on social media all the time. Uh, I'm not even going to say it because it's offensive to, to Asians. Uh, and then he, he had his other ones like uh, uh, Lion Ted and Crooked Hillary and all these other ones. But this is, the, I think, the first one that he's actually taken back because uh, DeSantis's fanboys were so offended because they said it was an attack on DeSantis's Italian heritage. Now, <laughs> when I first heard this, I didn't take it as that, but it's just a perfect name, nickname for DeSantis. Cause if you've seen DeSantis, he's a guy getting in his forties, you know, he's, he's getting a little pudgier. He's not fat, but he's getting, you know, he's getting to that age where, you know, he looks like, there's been a few meatball subs in his past. So he took this very, very personally. And now all of a sudden, all the people that were fine with, with Trump's offensiveness, you know, telling the squad to go back to the country they came from and all that kind of stuff. Uh, now they're suddenly offended because of meatball Ron, <laughs> which is still funny. Um, and then Trump also sent out a, a picture uh, that was supposedly of Ron DeSantis uh, when he was younger, but still a grown man with children at a drinking party or something. I don't know. This hasn't been verified. The women could be of age. Who knows? Uh, But he's basically calling Ron DeSantis uh, a groomer 
And now DeSantis's fans are saying, how dare he do so? Uh, when in fact, DeSantis all along, with a lot of the bills that he's passed, you know, the kind of don't say gay or whatever they call it, uh, his spokesperson was essentially calling people groomers all along. Essentially, if you mentioned sexuality or, or LGBT issues in, in the classroom, you were a groomer. And so now he's getting a taste of his own medicine, uh, which to me is hilarious. And uh, I hope it keeps going because it's, it's funny. Uh, we will return here on 620 WTMJ Nights. This is WTMJ Nights. And now here's your host, Christian Schneider. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm Christian Schneider, back in the hosting chair. I think the last time I did this was like four years ago. So twice a decade. Put it on your uh, put it on your calendar. Did anybody watch the NBA All-Star game last night? Tommy, did you watch the NBA All-Star game last night? I watched a little bit of it. Yeah? Did you find it entertaining? I I find it mildly entertaining, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was appalling. <laughs> I mean, I know I heard on the news on the way over here that Milwaukee is uh, is efforting to try to get the NBA All-Star game here. That would be fine for the people that want to come and spend their money. Uh, there's got to be a, a new hotel built or whatever's going on there. But God, just as a game, it was unwatchable. I mean, it's just people pulling up literally at half court, shooting jumpers. Nobody's playing any defense. Uh, normally it would be entertaining just because they have the main telecast and then they have the side telecast that has the uh, the uh, uh, inside the NBA crew, Ernie Johnson, Shaq, Kenny Smith, and, uh, and Charles Barkley. But there were all kinds of technical glitches where people were talking over each other, the reporters were talking over them. Uh, boy, was it bad. And then... The halftime seemed to go on forever. The first half ended, and I went to go watch another another TV show. And a half hour, I turned back. <laughs> I turned back, and I'm like, half halftime is still going on. That's that's crazy. And I think they probably overdo it with the draft now, before the game where they where they draft players. Um, and Giannis tried to tried to draft somebody that was ineligible. Giannis is like the guy in your uh, fantasy football league who drafts somebody three rounds after they've already been taken, and he high-fives himself for doing so. It was kind of a bummer for Milwaukee guys to not really play in the All-Star game, too, because Giannis obviously nursing himself, and Drew didn't get much time after his first shot or first couple shots didn't go down. So if you were from Milwaukee, it was kind of a buzzkill. Yeah, but th- this is my point. Like, I loved that Giannis was all in and that he wanted to play despite hurting his hand. When he went down with his hand injury, I was like, oh, well, he's not going to play in the All-Star game. That's actually good because I don't want him blowing out a knee or anything. But for him to – I'm going to rain on the parade a little, little bit here. He did take the spot of somebody on the East. Like, if you're Jalen Brunson or Trey Young or somebody, you're like, I could have been there. I could have played in this game. But uh, Giannis wanted to be there and get his one bucket – and get out. So I would be kind of cranky if I if I were one of those guys. It's better than the Pro Bowl still, isn't it? Oh, my God, yes. I mean, the Pro, Pro Bowl is just completely ditched. Right, they don't even play the game, game anymore. Together. Yeah. I actually watched a little bit of that. I thought the uh, I thought the flag football was actually kind of entertaining. It's definitely better than 
the Pro Bowl, whatever they do usually, <laughs> where they're all just standing there. The, the offensive linemen are just backing up, and it's just yeah, no, yeah, no one's trying anytime. I, I don't think the NBA All Star Game should have. It doesn't have any. You know, there was there's no baseball implications where you know it was it used to be home field advantage in the World Series or anything. I think that as an audience, it's just meant to be on in the background and. You know, you get to see the cool shots, the cool dunks, whatever. These are the best players that have insane basketball talent to let them show it off. Well, they they try to put stakes in the game in that, like, you know, I guess if you win an, a quarter, then a charity of yours gets more money or something right. like that. Yep. But what if you're on the losing charity and you're sitting there watching <laughs> watching these guys play and you're like, oh, there's $150,000 down the drain that we could have gotten just because <laughs> because Jason Tatum missed a missed a three-pointer. I mean, it's it's kind of weird and gross. I saw they tied the first quarter, so they split the 100,000. It went 50 and 50. I didn't know the results of the other quarters. I just know that team Giannis won. Yeah, and he had been uh, I guess what 0 and 5 against team LeBron. Yeah, had not past. won yet. So, well, I mean, it went until well into the night, and people on the East Coast should be really upset about that because uh, it really wasn't worth watching. Uh, I was, was going to talk about Nikki Haley a little bit here and her presidential run. Of course, last week she announced she's running for president. She's been running for president since LeBron James's rookie year. I mean, let's be honest. She's been running forever. I remember back during the Act 10 stuff with Scott Walker, she was, she was here walking around uh, with Scott Walker, and you don't do that type of thing unless you're unless you're seeking higher office. Um, I don't know what what good it did him, but um, she was here. And then you know, as governor of South Carolina, she was she was well respected. But her getting in the race has just gotten some people on the left unglued, like they're losing their minds. I mean, the, mo- the most uh, the most famous example, of course, is Don Lemon. Who got on TV and he said, because she's 51 years old, she's past her prime and therefore can't run. Uh, I got news for him. First of all, he never said any of that stuff about about Hillary Clinton, of course. But you can't run for president until you're 35 years old anyway. So apparently Don Lemon had this has a 15 year window for women in their prime to run run for president. And, you know, he's he was off the air today. So he's he's he may be getting the boot. Um, they're finally recognizing that he's not all that good. Um, but other people, like on, on the internet, people are questioning her Indianness because she is Indian. Her her first name is Nimrata. Her middle name is Nikki, so she uses her middle name. And her last name is Haley because she married a white guy named Michael Haley. But people are are, are doing their – this is the reverse birther type of thing where, you know, Trump and other people, other birthers were like – you know, we haven't seen Barack Obama's birth certificate, and that makes him some, you know, somewhat suspicious because he's not a real American, and that's racist and it's nasty. But a lot of people on the left are doing the same thing in reverse to Nikki Haley and saying, "Well, she's not a real Indian because she didn't use her her birth name," um, and that's just gross. Wajahat Ali on MSNBC today said uh, Nikki Haley is quote, the alpha Karen and uses her brown skin to launder white supremacist talking points. Whoopi Goldberg said, you know, because Nikki Haley had been making the point that she's part of a new generation. She says, you're not a new generation. You're 51. What are you talking about? (laughs) 
Uh, well, we've been run. America's been run by boomers uh, for a long time now. Biden might not even be a boomer. He might be like the greatest generation or whatever. So she is getting the treatment. She's getting the Doro treatment because they know if she gets through and she's she's a, a good candidate. You know, she's she's attractive. She's a woman of color. If she gets through, then she's going to be a formidable candidate. She still has to beat Meatball Ron and, and Trump. But uh, yeah, they're trying to they're trying to kill her candidacy in the crib, and it's just making them all crazy. Uh, we will be back here on 620 WTMJ Nights. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I am Christian Schneider. I will admit, I have not spent a whole lot of time until recently talking about, thinking about China as a threat here in the United States. But then they started sending balloons over us. (laughs) And somebody just happened to look up. Somebody in, uh, where was it, Montana? And they said, hey, China might uh, might be here. And... I guess I had always thought about China as something that's happening over there. You know, the, the Iger concentration camps, the sweatshops, and things like that. But I started reading a lot of what our ne- next guest had written, that there actually is a threat here in, in the United States from China, and especially on our college campuses. And it scared me. So I thought I should have her on to either scare me more <laughs> or allay my fears. Anyway... My guest is Sarah McLaughlin, who's a senior scholar of global expression at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, which is commonly known as FIRE. Sarah, thanks for being with us. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me on. So you write quite a bit about what threat we might face here in America, especially to free speech rights from China and other, and other countries. So what are some of the ways China is influencing free speech rights in America and on college campuses? Sure. So there are a lot of different ways. There's um, a concept called transnational repression, um, and it refers to the way that authoritarian countries have found um, both legal and non-legal ways to kind of spread their censorship, even in countries like the United States that have really strong free prote- uh, protections for free speech. Um, so here we see, um, you know, a lot of different ways. Um, there are threats to, um, you know, people from from China who come to the United States and they try to protest here or speak freely here, um, and they will be threatened. Their family members will be threatened because of what they say here, um, and that's especially what happens uh, on college campuses, which have large populations of international students, especially from China. Um, so these students will come here, and you know, American campuses are known for being you know, the freest in the world, essentially. But because of where these students come from, their government kind of follows them here, and they can't speak as freely as they should be able to. So I've written about this uh, a little bit in my in my prior position, and I wrote a lot about Confucius Institutes, which were mm-hmm. these, uh, these organizations set up by the, sponsored in part by, uh, the Chinese government, the, the the Chinese Communist Party in America on campuses, there were over a hundred at some point, and then they started going away. Are they have they completely gone away, or is there something now that's replacing them? So there are a couple dozen left um, on campuses in the U.S. Uh, but what what Confucius 
Confucius Institutes essentially did was uh, they kind of created a center um, that would bridge between an American university and a Chinese university. Um, and so while these centers might still be gone, um, or might be gone now, that doesn't mean that the relationship between the campuses has disappeared. Um, so, you know, a lot of these universities that may have gotten rid of their Confucius Institutes, they still keep the underlying ties. Um, they might have partnerships, they might have joint degree programs, they might have study abroad uh, agreements that they have with, um, you know, these Chinese universities that they originally partnered with. So uh, just because the Confucius Institute is gone uh, doesn't necessarily mean that some of the ties that might be concerning to Americans are gone, too. Uh, so they're, they're <laughs> still here. <laughs> um, yeah. We're going to take a break. Are you going to stick with us through the break? Because I have more questions yeah, for you. Okay, great. Uh, we will be right back. We're going to take a break. Uh, I'm Christian Schneider. This is uh, WTMJ Nights. Nights. Welcome back. I am Christian Schneider in the hosting chair for the evening. About another half hour or so. We are with Sarah McLaughlin, a senior scholar of global, ex- global expression at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. Uh, we are talking about the Chinese threat on U.S. college campuses, which uh, has me terrified. Um, tell us about, there's a campus and an incident that happened not too long ago where a campus had to deal with a famous Disney cartoon character. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Sure. I've, I've been looking forward to talking about this one. <laughs> um, so there's a... For about five years now, there's been a censorship controversy in China uh, dating back to a picture of uh, Xi Jinping and Barack Obama. And they, walking together, the two kind of look like Tigger and Winnie the Pooh. And so um, Xi Jinping did not like being compared to Winnie the Pooh. So these photos are censored. And Winnie the Pooh has long been censored in China because of this. Um, and I promise this has a connection to the U.S. campus. Um, but so 2021, um, there was a conservative student group um, at Emerson. Um, they're in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, the students at TCUSA, uh, they were handing out stickers uh, that said China kind of sucks. Um, and it showed a character from a video game. Um, I have not played a video game since Nintendo GameCube, so I will not attempt to explain what it means. Um, but essentially, it was just saying the Chinese government is bad. Uh, you know, it's a pretty basic political expression for college students or anyone to engage in. Right. The, um, the sticker but, said China kind of sus, S-U-S, as in suspicious. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And I, I think it's from the game Among Us, uh, which I'm sure... Other people than me know more about that than I do. Um, but the, uh, the college investigated the students because uh, some students found the stickers offensive. And um, they eventually suspended the group, they investigated them, and they really put these, the student group censorship or punishment just because they handed out stickers. Um, and the college even admitted that the stickers didn't target anyone other than the Chinese government, and still they investigated them. Um, so we at FIRE, uh, we were criticizing Emerson's actions here, saying it violated the school's free speech commitments, and the school started hiding replies um, in its Twitter mentions uh, from people who were criticizing its behavior here. 
And not only were they criticizing its handling of this case, they actually started hiding people who sent some pictures of Winnie the Pooh to sort of mockingly suggest that the school <laughs> was doing the CCP's censorship. So, so um, an American so, college, just to be has a social media person whose job is to sit there and delete tweets or block tweets of Winnie the Pooh, the, the cartoon character. Yes, and I, <laughs> it sort of sounds like you would have to make this up, but no, this is all too real. <laughs> <laughs> so people might say, like, well, China's, you know, they pass these laws, uh, these anti-free uh, speech laws in China, and they're not applicable here in the U.S., but how does Beijing exert pressure on students if they're even here in, in the United States? Uh, so there are a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the, the big ones is that, um, you know, they have some student groups here, um, Chinese Students and Scholars Associations. Uh, those groups are very often, um, you know, very pro-CCP, and they have frequently been involved in um, efforts to surveil or censor students um, who have criticized the Chinese government on campus. Um, and some have even threatened to report back on the Chinese students who have protested here. And uh, students know what that means. They, they know that if they go home and they have violated Chinese laws here, they will be punished for it. Um, and it, it's not just a hypothetical. Uh, it has actually happened to students um, who studied in the United States and engaged in political speech here that they have been punished for uh, when they were returned back to China. Um, and so even if that doesn't happen to them, they know their families are there, and their families might have to pay the price for what they've said here. Right, and that's the scariest thing. I mean, you, in some of the reporting that you've done, the families of these people are still in China, and yet they're here in America, and if they're found to you know, cross the line in criticizing uh, the Chinese government... Uh, something could happen to your family. So that's how they exert pressure. That's a a classic tactic of authoritarians because, you know, a lot of people are willing to sacrifice their own safety or freedom for what they believe in, but it's a totally different ballgame when it's your family that might suffer for what you say or do. And so it's it's a pretty effective tactic, unfortunately. I should note that uh, Sarah's actually writing a book about this. I've read a little bit about it. It's of it it's outstanding and uh i can't can't wait to see it what's it uh what's it like writing a book um it's been it's been a lot of fun honestly it's been a lot of um just sitting um more time than you would think um deleting things that my cat has accidentally typed when they walked over my keyboard um there's been a little bit of that <laughs> um it's been fun you know i've I've, spoke, I've spoken to a lot of really really interesting people um who have shared you know, their stories with me at campus censorship and uh, what it's like to try to protest authoritarianism um, in the United States and not being safe to do it. Um, so it's, you know, it really taught me a lot, and I've um, really been enjoying the process. So for those of you who follow Sarah on Twitter, she is one of the world's biggest Philadelphia Eagles fans, which it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great last, uh, last couple of weeks. Um, have you researched into any uh, potential Chinese involvement in the holding call at the end of the game last week in the Super Bowl? <laughs> You know, I'm I, I'm not sure. I do think you know there is something a little suspicious about what happened. I don't know. I don't want to make any big claims here, uh, but we are technically still in mourning here in Philadelphia. We have another three weeks left of the mourning period. So, all right. Well, thanks for being on. Uh, can't wait to to see your book uh, finally in print. And uh, if people want to read up on uh, what what Sarah's been up to, 
Go to the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. That's uh, fire.org, or is it thefire.org? Um, but thanks for, thanks for coming on. And yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. So uh, now we go to the, from the WTMJ Breaking News Center, here is Jessica Gatso. Hey, Nights. A hundred bad days made a hundred good stories. A hundred good stories make me interesting at parties. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. I'm Christian Schneider. We have a, a guest in studio. Look who showed up. I, I just happened to be in the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, she's always nice enough to have me on her show when she hosts. Uh, and so I repaid the... Uh, <laughs> Are we even now? Yeah. Okay. It, it's Tracy Johnson. <laughs> famous uh, famous talk show host here on, on WTMJ. You just had a run of a bunch of shows, uh, what, a week ago when Scafidi was... Uh, Gallivanting around gallivanting the world. Around, yes. Yeah, I was going to say cavorting. Cavorting, yes. <laughs> gallivanting, whatever. Did about three days, yes. So it was a lot of fun. It was great to be back in this new studio. It's awesome being in this. It's it's like so lively out here at the Third Street Market. Right. You're and, in a fishbowl. People are like sucking down sushi while watching you on the radio. Yeah. It's and and I was just at an event. There was an event for the fallen officer, Jervis. Right. And I stopped by there. Come over here. It's all good. So... When I asked you what you wanted to talk about, you said you had some strong feelings about Nikki Haley. Oh, yeah. And Don Lemon and all the mean things people are saying about Nikki Haley and her age and her ethnicity. And you seem to be a big Nikki Haley fan. So go ahead. What what are your thoughts? Well, I was just interested and it was peculiar peculiar the the comment that Don Lemon made how about the women in their prime and I'm sure this has been talked about a lot but just google it Tracy just google it just google I was it. googling it yes and I just think it's it's fascinating so for those who don't watch what what station is he on CNN or MSNBC He was on CNN I don't, we'll see some we'll station see I don't watch <laughs> but I, you know it's interesting listening to you know kind of the back and forth and the comments about you know a woman in her prime cuz basically what Nikki Haley said when she launched her campaign for presidency last week is that we need somebody who's more relevant somebody who's not an 80 year old uh man running the country and she said you know you need somebody who's more relevant more in their prime you know she kind of made a comment so she i think she did leave herself open to to the comment and don lemon with his the other co-hosts uh said you know no, nikki haley's not in her prime a woman in her prime is in her 20s or 30s and and maybe in her 40s if she's lucky and he <laughs> failed to recognize that the people sitting to his left and his right were women who were in their 40s and so Myself, as a woman in her 40s. No. Was, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, listening to that. And it was just an interesting conversation. And, you know, again, I think she did leave herself open to the commentary and the discussion. But I do think she actually is getting a lot of attention, has built a lot of support. Uh, the commentary around that. Just because she's such a competent person and she's got such a well-rounded background. I'm not giving away who I would would or would not support for president. But... You know, I think she's been an interesting person to rise and good for her for getting out there first. Well, that's what these ding dongs don't understand is that if you go at Nikki Haley over something like that, where even Democratic women will say these are cheap shots over her ethnicity, her use of her middle name. Yes. Um, you know, all these things. Whoopi Goldberg, as I said, was on 
uh, on TV today saying, well, she's 51, so she's not really a new generation when excuse me she's a gen x come on man i thought we were gonna get skipped so you and i are both gen x and i thought we were gonna go straight from like boomer to millennial not that we you know gen x we don't care i no, we do care i do care do you (laughs) i do care i think there's a lot of gen xers coming up i I mean you you mentioned ron desantis i'm not sensing that you're a ron desantis fan (laughs) (laughs) you you still want to call him a meatball huh I'm I'm in on Meatball Ron until <laughs> until they pull it out of my my grip my gr- death grip yeah <laughs> okay um, but you know I think again she's also getting a really fabulous platform to talk about all kinds of other things like her not only her policy but you know diversity throughout the country I, I think it's a great platform for her that she may not have had had Don Lemon just kept his mouth shut. Yeah, and that's what they don't understand is in the Republican Party right now, the best thing that can happen to you is to have the right people angry at you. And in Don Lemon and Whoopi Goldberg and this other guy on MSNBC who says she's like a white supremacist. Oh, my God. Uh, See, I don't watch that. <laughs> these are things that trickle into my my Twitter feed. But they don't understand by by doing that, they are promoting her. I mean, she couldn't have she couldn't have better press. It gives her the chance to go out and explain this stuff is nuts. This is why they want to stop me because they, you know, they think I'm a, a plausible candidate, and it's giving her press that that she couldn't have asked for otherwise. Well, and part of me was a little bit nervous because it was you know really playing to gender and you know being a victim perhaps, which I I just I don't like that. But I think the way she's handling it has been. Just fantastic, and how I would expect. And I followed her. In fact, right, oof, boy, right when she took the 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 station with Trump, with President Trump, I was I was I was big time fangirl. Yeah, of her. So, and I think you know times have changed. You know, she's you know been in her position. She's not in that position. Um, you know, and when it comes to the presidency, I think I'm going to have to still I'm still wait and see kind of thing. But um, do you think she has a chance against Trump and Meatball Ron? Uh, no, not a chance. <laughs> not, not a, a chance. Not a chance. No. OK. All right. I'll give you a chance to amend your answer uh, after the break. I'm Christian Schneider. This is WTMJ Nights. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. We are joined here in studio by Tracy Johnson. She's famous for running a lot. She, there was a TV, oh god, a TV news thing about you. Do you ever get recognized from that? No, because you run every day and I, yeah. I no, no, I don't. <laughs> so I texted her when I knew I was going to do the show. I said I want you to be on the show. She said okay, and I said what do you want to talk about? And two words: poop bags. <laughs> Well, there was a recent incident regarding poop bags, so that was like top of mind. Okay. I thought this would fit in because I started the show talking about etiquette and the handling of poop bags seems to be <laughs> part of the etiquette theme that we will get back to. So go ahead. What, what? How should people handle or dispose of their poop bags? Okay. So you already set it up by saying I run every day. So I run in my neighborhood every day and I live around here. And I live, it's kind of a suburban, kind of in the country. And every day I pass by a number of poop bags that people have used to pick up their dog's 
business. Hopefully it's dogs. Yes. <laughs> they're doing <it>. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they're just sitting there and they're just there. Like you went through the effort to take your dog on a walk. You went through the effort to put the waste in the bag. And here's the deal. You may have thought I'm going to come back for this, but you didn't come back because it's still there three days later. And I'll tell you what's also really interesting about this is I am on the board for my homeowners association. No. <laughs> and I will sometimes get calls about the bags that are left throughout the neighborhood. It's not very often, but I, I have received more than one call. So people associate you with poop, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, they 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 associate <laughs> me with solving problems. And that's better. That's and, a, and I remember there was one it. time I think somebody like didn't know who to call. They wanted me to either put up a sign or do something. I go, you know what? I'm just going to go get it. I'll just go get it. You know, I'm happy to. Okay. It's my job. I okay. guess. Good. What about you? All right. So yes. <laughs> what grinds your gears? What grinds my gears? I'll tell you, Tracy, because I have it written down right here. Fast food restaurants. This is more of a, maybe just a more of a gripe than, than an etiquette thing. But if you're a fast food restaurant and you allow people to come to order online and come pick things up, make it closer to the time that they're going to pick it up. Because if I put in an order at 1130 and I say I'm going to pick it up at 1230, you can bet they're making it at 1131. So it's going to sit there and get ice cold. Like, have a little professionalism there. Also, <laughs> the restaurant by my house has now posted a sign that says you can't just walk in and pick up your food anymore because too many people are just walking and stealing food. Okay. Don't steal food. That's my that's my etiquette thing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds like a problem. I don't know how you solve that. Yeah, yeah. Just well, go through the drive-through. No, I feel like you can help yourself. You have to go up to the to the desk now, the desk, the counter, and show them like where you ordered it on your phone, and then they hand it to you because too many people are walking in there stealing food. Okay. I guess that's a post-COVID thing. Yeah. Well, at the Bucks games, they have like little lockers. I think then you can like unlock them. Maybe they need to have a little more technology or again, maybe just order your food closer to when you want to pick it up. I feel like this could be a two way street. <laughs> yes. This, this has just turned into like what grinds my gears type of situation. Uh, all right. What's your next one? Um, so the other thing that is a, like annoying to me and it is an etiquette issue is when people dress like hobos in the airport and I mean, like a hobo in a sense that they just kind of like roll out of bed and they look like, like they just rolled out of bed. And here I am and I, like my family, we all dress nice. It's not like we're going to church, but like look presentable because you never know who you're going to see in an airport. And that's just kind of, it, it just kind of bugs me. And in fact, one time I was flying and on Southwest and there was a group of young men who were standing in line in front of me. And they all were dressed in khaki pants and like blue jackets. And they looked very, very nice. And I, I asked, actually asked one of them, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Are you like, who, who are you? You're with a group. And uh, one of the young men said that they were with the Marquette uh, lacrosse team. And I thought, wow, that's impressive. So I actually asked the coach and he said, yep, this is how we travel. This is how we roll. So if you dress, if you dress up at an airport, you too can play lacrosse. I guess that's that the, the wrong moral of the story, but <laughs> just think back. I mean, in airplanes, you used to look nice and look presentable. You also used to smoke in an airplane, so I guess. No, I remember growing up, people used to actually dress up to get on planes. They'd wear suits and ties and because they, they you know, this was an important 
thing in their lives. And now, yeah, you just roll out looking like you just, you know, you were just at a Lil Wayne concert or whatever. <laughs> so anyway, okay, we're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute, just here on uh, WTMJ Nights. A Nights. Welcome back. I'm Christian Schneider. We're wrapping it up here for the night. Uh, another etiquette thing. No more checks. Stop with the writing checks. You can literally pay for things by throwing your phone at the register now. No need to write a check. I know, but what if you're like 80 years old? You don't have, like... I, 80 I'm, years old, people who are 80 years old have phones. I know, but usually I'm behind them at Sundex and they're writing checks. And then it's funny because the the girls behind the counter, the counter at the cash register don't know how to process the check. I, I'm with you on that. Right. If you have a check, it probably means you don't have any, any money. So you should go to prison if you write a check. That is no. not true. I, like, they have to verify. I have checks. I actually wrote a check today. You are pro-check. I am pro-check. You're on record. Okay. And your final one. Oh, when you go to an away game, like your kid's baseball game or basketball game, and you sit on the opposing team's uh, cheer section, and then you're just a jerk, and you cheer when... The home team is obviously losing, and it's like so annoying. You're it's, not allowed to cheer for your kid. Well, if you're sitting on the wrong side of the stadium, it just is annoying. Like, don't be that person who's cheering opposite of everybody else that is sitting around you. Like, Do you, doesn't that feel weird? I don't know. I don't ever go to an away game, like even like a Packer game or something like that in a different city. I just would feel weird. You wouldn't go to a Packer game in Washington or something and wear a Packer jersey and sit in the. I, I would feel wrong. I, I'm not a big fan of that. But other people can do it, but I just don't want to do it because I don't want to be like hated and booed and stuff like that. <laughs> you will be after the show. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, all right. We're going to end up on a, on a happy note, I guess. Um, it is President's Day. Happy President's Day. Yeah. How did you celebrate President's Day? By working. Ooh. I mean, it used did- to be just Washington's birthday. And now they wanted to be more inclusive of all the presidents. Well, and Lincoln too, right? Isn't there something with Lincoln? Yeah, something like that. That might actually my nine year old told me that. And I actually didn't verify I didn't Google it. I should verify that, but So who is your favorite president that's not Washington or Lincoln? John Adams. John Adams. The second president. Wow. Of the United States. He has that huge book in that movie. And that's actually how I got really interested in it. And just the the story of him and his wife, Abigail, and his, you know, his journeys overseas during, you know. He's a very tiny man, very emotional, tempestuous, you would say. I like that. Played by Paul Giamatti, who now is famous for playing Einstein in those commercials that wanted me to put a spike through my head. He's around <laughs> so many times. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the fact that we were able to see it depicted through a movie and then obviously the books and things like that. I think just really humanized him and made him very relatable. And I just, I liked the relationship he had with Thomas Jefferson and, you know, his adversaries. And it was just interesting. And his, his relationship with his wife and he wrote everything down. He was just a brilliant writer and, um, and his son was a president. So that's kind of a cool legacy, you know, certainly is. So he's my favorite president. I said we were uh, ending the show on a high note. Yeah. Mine is, I mean, I like Coolidge. Who doesn't? Cool's right in his name. So you exactly. gotta. Uh, I was always a big uh, James A. Garfield fan. Is it because you like Garfield? 
the cartoon? Um, not necessarily. But uh, unfortunately, within months of being elected, he got shot. He was like a perfect Republican. He was like, you know, an abolitionist and he's from the Midwest and he could have been one of our best presidents, but it was a missed opportunity because on a, getting on a train, he got shot. Then he was in the, the White House for months recovering and they think he got, he didn't die from the, the, from the, the wound. They died because there was no antiseptic and people weren't boiling water and pe- like people were sticking their fingers in him. And making him sick. He got sepsis and all that stuff. So happy President's Day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you ended on a happy note. That's awesome. <laughs> it was a missed opportunity. He could have been one of our, he could have been one of our best presidents. We'd be talking about Garfield uh, in ways that are not cartoon cats. Perfect. All right. So that's my time. Thanks everybody for uh, for having us. And uh, this is WTMJ Nights here on 620 WTMJ.